Hello, Reckless. My name's uh, Jeremy Whitehead. It's good to see y'all. Looks like I have some fans out here. Some fans. I know I'm awesome. It's okay. Uh, but uh, this is my first time up here uh, speaking. I'm really excited. Uh, if you don't know me, like I said, my name's Jeremy. I'm the high school intern this semester, and I'm glad to be a part of what God's doing here at Reckless. And uh, I'm not sure uh, if y'all were here when we did the relationship series. I talked a little bit about how I actually grew up um, through the student ministry here at Westridge. I was a part of it, a student here just like you. But, but when I was a student here, um, we weren't in this building. It was back when we were at East Paulding. But we had this event. Maybe some of you, you older adults remember this. It was called Extreme. Does anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe? Maybe? Can I hear a whoop? Kenny B, he's been here forever. So him and Moses hung out. So, um, but, but we had this thing called Extreme. And what Extreme was, was we were in East Paulding High School's gym, and it was like inflatable palooza, if you know what I'm talking about. So there was like inflatable trampoline, inflatable basketball, all, all kinds of crazy stuff. But, but there was one event that was better than all other events in Reign Supreme, and that was sumo wrestling. And so has anyone ever seen the, the sumo suits? You know what I'm talking about? With all the padding, it's really big. Well, everyone's kind of just going at it. They're just, they're, they're just sumo wrestling. They're going to town. It's, it's a scary sight seeing two big padded men sumo wrestling. But, but what ends up happening, because I have a twin brother, is um, everyone's like, hey, Josh, Jeremy, y'all, y'all, need, y'all need to fight. We need to see which one's better. And so that's what happens when you're a twin. You can't escape it. But um, so we get in there. And I'm on one side, he's on the other, we're getting suited up, and, and you, the thing you have to understand about these sumo suits is they're really big up top, and they have like no padding, so you have these little tiny legs, and they're really big, and so we're, we're about to go at it, and everyone on the sidelines is kind of sitting over here, I think I want that twin to win. And so, and then there's another side saying, hey, I think I want that twin to win. And so what happens is they decided to intervene in mine and my brother's battle for destiny, by tackling the other person that they didn't want to win. And so what happens is me and Josh collide, and then everyone else just kind of joined in to the battle. Uh, but what ended up happening is actually really funny. It's uh, one of my favorite moments in life. Is uh, One of the students that came in was a football player and uh, tackled my brother right around the leg and ended up tearing his ACL. And uh, he had to be carried off the field, the, the gym. He was crying. It was beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. But, but, I, but I tell you that to say for, for this reason, in, in all seriousness, um, we're going through this series about spiritual warfare and about this enemy we have. And the thing is, is you never know when you're just going to get attacked at the legs from the side out of nowhere. You never know when an attack's going to come. All you know that it is coming. And we'll be going through Ephesians 6, and the Apostle Paul is writing to us, and he's, he, he's saying, hey, I want to help you fight this battle. Because you have this enemy whose who's job, whose mission in life is to still kill and destroy, and he wants to ruin your life. And so I, I want to equip you. And, and Todd talked last week about putting on the belt of truth. And so he's going through, he's saying, hey, there's this armor that can protect you. There's this armor that can help you. And, and what I want us to do, just like I was talking about, you never know when an attack's coming, but we do know it is coming. But, but what we can do 
is we can look and we can see how he attacks. We don't know. It's coming. We don't know when. We don't know where. But it is coming. But we can look at how our enemy works and we can see how he attacks and, and see how we can defend ourselves from that. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis 1. And what I want us to see is I want us to look at our enemy's tactics and learn our general's battle plan. And so if you go to Genesis 1, what you're going to see is God creating everything. God's up in heaven, and he's like, hey, I, I want to make some stars, and he speaks, and stars exist. He says, hey, I want, I want water to come up from the ground, and water comes up from the ground. He says, I want, I want the, the animals to scurry across the wooded glen, and the animals scurry across the wooded glen. And anything he says, he speaks it comes into creation. He, he makes man and he makes woman. He puts them in the garden and he gives them rule over everything. And he, and he says something really intentional there. He says, he's, he says hey, I want, I want you to go eat all that I have for you. They're, they're in the garden of Eden. He says, he says, I want you to enjoy all of it except for this one, one tree. There's this one tree in there and you need to avoid that tree because it leads to death. And, and, but, but there's a, a thing we miss that, that you pick up if you understand the Hebrew language. And, and what, what the, the writer writes and what God is saying there is he, he says, hey, I want you to really enjoy this. If you want to emphasize something in the Hebrew language, you would write it twice. So, so when they're writing it, they says, hey, I want you to go eat, eat. And when he's saying it, he says, hey, I want you to go enjoy. I want you to savor it. I want you to put it in your mouth and taste it and see how good it is. Like, like, I don't want you to just kind of, like, pick it. I want you to enjoy it. Eat all that you can. God is, God is not trying to hinder them in any way. He says, go, go eat as much as you want to. But, but there's this one tree, and the fruit from that tree, it leads to a bad place, and you don't want to go there. And in Genesis 3, we see our enemy come up. And he surprise attacks us, and uh, the ripple effects of that can still be felt today. If you have your Bibles in Genesis 3, 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God says you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. And she also, gave, she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate. And so what happens here is that, that God had created all of this stuff. He created it for them to enjoy, and he, he gave one rule. He says, hey, don't go there. It's going to take you to a place that's bad. You don't need to go there. And the enemy comes, and he just screws up God's plan, just totally jacks it up. And what, what we can see here is that this is the point 
where God's creation was fractured. Everything was perfect. Everything had a harmony to it. Everything was in peace. And at this point, it was like, uh, has anyone ever listened to, to music? Like you're listening to a live music playing, and someone plays the wrong note, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. You know what I'm talking about? Or like someone's playing the piano, and they play the wrong note, and there's kind of just like this eerie silence. This is that point in Scripture, because everything's perfect, and everything's in harmony, and then this happens. And this is called the fall of man, because this is where sin's introduced to the world, and sickness, and death, and destruction and all the painful things that we have to experience in life all goes back to this. And we think about what our enemy's doing. When we try to learn our enemy's plan, the first thing we see is that our enemy tries to make us doubt God's generosity to us. The, God, God didn't say, hey, hey, I, I want you just, you know, just, you know, kind of eat some stuff, but, uh, but, but that's the good stuff, so I don't want you to have that. That's not what God said. God said, go, go eat, eat. Enjoy, savor what I've given to you. But the enemy comes and says, hey, did, did God really say that? And, and what, what the enemy wants to do is he wants us to focus on the one thing that God says not to do. And blow it out of proportion and make it seem like it's something so desirable. And, and, and the, the question he's really proposing to Eve is the same question that proposes to us every day. And what, what the enemy is saying there, he's saying, hey, has God placed any restriction on you? Is God trying to limit your joy in any way? Is he trying to rob you of something that would be good? And the enemy comes and he deceives and, and he puts something in front of you that's desirable. And he lures you in. The second thing we see that the enemy does is he exaggerates the goodness of the things God wants to protect us from. And so he puts, he puts it in your face. And he says, says Does, doesn't that look good? Isn't that something you would want? And, and, and he lures you in and you, you become so disillusioned and so blinded. It's right in your face. But if you could just move it out of the way, you could, you could look to where it's going to lead you. And see that it's going to lead you to a place far from God and far from every, anywhere you wanted to be. But, but that's Satan's trick is he, he sticks it right in front of you says, and says, doesn't this look good? Isn't this what you want? And, he, and this happens every day. This happens every day in your life, in your schools, at your home. And this is why people will, will treat other people like dirt so they can try and make themselves seem popular. This is why fights get started. This is why... All the things you see, Cap, because God, Satan put something in front of you. You know, maybe it's, it's popularity. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship. And you know that that's probably not what you should do. But all reason goes out the window because it's what you want. But God's plan has never been to let us stay that way. God's plan has never been to just leave us to ourselves to the enemy's attacks. It's never been to just, just leave us here defenseless. God has a plan. And in Genesis 3.15, you can read, he, he goes to the enemy and he tells him the plan. He says, I will put enmity between you and woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And, and what, he's, what they're saying there is that, hey, I'm sending someone. There's someone that's going to be coming. It's going to fight 
on your behalf. There's someone, there's someone coming. I'm not leaving you to yourself. There's going to be a fight that play, takes place, and I'm sending someone to go fight. He says, I'm not leaving to yourself. You're not defenseless. I'm sending someone. The, the book of Galatians in Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says it like this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And what he's saying there, he's, hey, there's this day that's coming. There's this time that's coming. And, and, and it's not random. It's set in stone. And this day, he's going to come. And when that day comes, he's going to come. And he's going to save. And he's going to redeem. And he's going to make you my children. There's nothing you can do about it. That's what's happening. And because, because God has a plan. But the, but the enemy wants to come. And he says, hey, I know that you say that your God has a plan. I know, I know that your God says that he's going to send someone. But, but this, is what, this is what I think, and the enemy comes and he comes and lies to us. He says, he says hey, forget about God's plan for a second. And, and these are the lies he tells us. He says, hey, don't worry about God's plan. Just try and be a good person. Just, just try and be a good person, you know. Maybe, you know, you mess up here, you mess up there. But, but as long as your goal is just being a good person, that, that's all that matters. And in the end, at the end of the day... If you had a scale right here, and you put your, your good actions on one side and your bad actions on the other, and you weighed it out, your good actions would outweigh your bad, and God's going to be okay with you. And so he says, hey, hey, don't worry about all his rules. Don't worry about all the things he asks you to do. Just go try and be a good person. The, another, another lie he tells us, he says, hey, just, just go be religious, you know. Go, go, go to church a lot. You know, talk real spiritual. Just, just, you know, when you're around people, you know, try and say spiritual things. Just, just attend every, every service, every time the doors open. Come here to Reckless. That will make God happy. God needs to, to fill his churches with more people. So if you come, he'll be happy, and y'all be all good. You're all squared away. There's no more problems. And these, these are the lies that he tells us. And, and the thing is is, is, is we just can't be enough, good enough people, and we just can't attend good enough church services because that was... Never the problem. The problem is that we're, we're sinful people and separated from a holy God. But, but God has a plan also. And he, he said, hey, hey, my plan, my plan's better because I'm, I'm going to make you righteous. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God. So he says, hey, I'm sending someone, and he's going to take your place. He's going to put on your sinfulness. And on the cross, that's what Jesus did. On the cross, Jesus is over here, and we're over here, and he takes our sinfulness, and he gives us his righteousness so we can stand before God holy, holy and blameless. And we're talking about this idea of righteousness, and Paul talks about the idea of righteousness too in Ephesians 6. In Ephesians 6, 14, he says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the purpose of the breastplate was to guard our hearts. It would, it would protect our most vital organ so that when enemies' attacks would come, they couldn't attack our heart and, and defeat us. 
And so, so what he's saying here is a little different than that righteousness God was just talking about. And so what, what he's saying here is, hey, I, I want to protect your heart. We talked in our relationship series about Proverbs 4.23 where it says, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. And so this is the kind of um, protection he's talking about here in Ephesians 6.14. And he, he says, hey, if your heart's not guarded and your heart goes to a bad place and it's not protected, then your course of life goes to a bad place and it's going to take you far from God and far from anywhere you wanted to be. But, but here's, here's the truth, students. We can try to protect our hearts as much as we want to, but if, but if we have a bad heart, it's going to do no good. If, if our hearts are bad, then trying to protect it is going to do absolutely nothing. In, in Ezekiel 36, 25, the prophet Ezekiel writes, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you. And I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I gave your fathers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. And so what, what God wants to do here is he's saying, hey, I, I want to protect your heart, but before I could ever try to protect your heart, I have to change it first. Because if you have this, this bad heart, this heart of stone, then you're completely defenseless against the enemy. And when God says, hey, I'm going to perform heart surgery because you're, you're dead. We talked about this in Ephesians 2. You're spiritually dead. And he comes and he says, I'm going to rip out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh And what this heart of flesh does is it enables you to walk in my statutes and obeys my rules. It helps you walk in the life that I've designed. And God wants to perform heart surgery. He wants to take out this heart of stone. Because if we have this heart of stone, if we don't know Jesus, we're completely defenseless. Scripture says that our enemy is the ruler of the world and blinds the minds of the unbelievers. And and if... Our hearts are that heart of stone. If God hasn't changed our hearts, then we can try and put on the breastplate of righteousness all we want to, but it's going to do no good because our our hearts are bad. We have bad hearts. And God's saying, hey, I have a plan. I'm going to take that heart. I'm going to put a new one in, and I'm going to make you my people, and I'll be your God. And that's his promise for us. And, And the thing is, is our heart of stone all it wants to do is listen to the lies the world tells us. If, if, you have, if you, God hasn't changed your heart, all you're going to do is listen to the lies of the enemy. He's going to tell you that everything that the world has will satisfy you. He's going to tell you that, that, you know, go make all the money, go get all the education you want, and in the end that will make you happy, that will satisfy you. He's going to say, hey, you know, just, just focus on your relationship, and, and you know, you'll be good, and, and that's all you really need. You just need someone to care about you. He says, hey, all, all you need is to be popular. It doesn't matter who gets in your way. It doesn't matter what you do. All that matters is that you're popular. And the thing is, is that it's just not true. Because in the end, you can, you can never have enough money. Go ask, go ask all the rich people. All they want to do is make more money because they don't have enough because there's something inside of them that's wrong. And he says, hey, you know, you can go get 
all the education you want, but it's not going to work. You can, you can have all the relationships you want to, but when that relationship ends, it's over. He said, you can go try and be popular all you can, but it's not going to work. And especially for, for you students, especially you seniors, um, living for popularity is, is, is just a silly thing. Because, and, and all the leaders and, and adults in here can attest to this, what happens when you live for popularity is, is you get a year and two out of high school, and all those people you live for, the only place you see them is at Walmart. I mean, it's true. And they don't care anymore. And so you're, you're living for, for all these people you're never going to see again except for at Walmart. And they're, they're checking out their groceries and spanking their kids, and they could care less. And so, so it's, it, it just falls, it falls short. None of these things will satisfy you. He says, hey, what you need is a new heart, and what you need is you need Jesus. And God saves you, and he begins to change that heart. And what happens in that heart-changing process is that your desires begin to change. Your desires begin to change. And, and what, what he does is, is you begin to start seeing everything else is disgusting. And everything else just begins to pale in comparison. It's like the, the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. He says, turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face. And the things of this world go strangely dim in light of his mercy and grace. And, and that's what he's saying there. He says, hey, you got these new desires. You have this new heart. You don't want those things anymore. You have this new heart. Those things, they don't matter anymore. Jesus is what matters. And he begins to change your heart and shield you from the things that would harm your heart. And so when Paul's talking about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, he's talking about this part of it. He's talking about after your heart's been changed, man, you start growing closer to him, and he guards your heart. So, so how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? We put on the breastplate of righteousness by growing so close to Jesus that he begins to protect our hearts. And so as we grow close to Jesus, as we grow closer to him, we, we start to look like him. It's like, have you ever had that friend that you just spent too much time with? Maybe it was on summer break, and y'all spent every day together, and all that happened is you watched the same movies, laughed at the same jokes, and, and y'all just started acting alike. You know what I'm talking about? And everyone else just thinks you're annoying, but, but y'all just start to act the same because y'all spent so much time together. And, and what, what he's saying is, is that you would spend so much time with Jesus that you would begin to look alike. And when the enemy comes and the enemy tries to attack, he, he can't get to you because he would have to get through Jesus first because he's guarding your heart. And, and the thing is, is that you're still going to be tempted. J- just because your heart's been changed doesn't mean temptation doesn't exist. Temptation's going to come. Satan's going to try to deceive you. But when that happens, you're going to be like, like wh- wh- what is that? Why would I want that when I can have Jesus Man, why would I want to worry about popularity when I can have the creator of the universe? Why would I want to worry about how many friends I have when I can have the author of joy, the creator of all good things? It it just begins to pale in comparison. And our desires begin to change because we want him and don't want the things of the world. And one of our desires that begins to change is our desire to see other people come know the same hope and the same truth that we have. In Ephesians 6.15, it says, And as for shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And the idea here is that, that hey, we're going into enemy territory. Like I said, Satan, the enemy, he's the ruler of the world. He blinds the minds of the unbelievers. And so we're going to go in, and what we're going to do is we're going to advance into Satan's territory. And we're going to tell them the truth of the gospel of peace. And it's called the gospel of peace because it brings peace between man and God. And that's the hope we're bringing, that there can be peace. And he says, you're going to be going to bring that, but before you do that, you have to prepare. And so how do, how do we prepare? How do we do this? It starts with praying. It just starts with praying. It starts on getting on your hands and your knees and, and pleading with God for, for your friends, pleading with God for your family, saying, God, I, I want to see my friends saved. God, I have family members that don't know Jesus, and I want to see them saved. They need to know him. It it starts by seeing all the people in your life and saying, God, I care about that person. I want him to know Jesus. I want her to know Jesus. And God begins to shape these desires in our heart that we go reach these people. And so we pray for them. We plead with the Lord for them. We don't stop. And, And then we go and tell them and watch God move and watch God work. And watch God save people. And, and, and here's the thing that goes around, around in church circles. There's this saying that, that goes, uh, uh, how does it go? It goes, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. So y'all have heard that before, right? Y'all have heard that before. And what it's saying there is, hey, when, when you live life, your life should communicate the gospel. So if necessary, you can use words. And, and it's true. That, that your life should communicate the gospel. Ephesians 4.1, our verse for the year, says that. Philippians 2 says, let your manner of living be worthy of the gospel. And so, so that's definitely, definitely a biblical idea. But, but what God says is, hey, you want to go see people saved? You, you want to see people come to know me? The way to do that isn't by living out the gospel. It's by going and telling them the gospel. Ro- Romans says, how shall they hear unless someone tells them? It's it's by a proclamation of the truth, by telling them about who God is and what he's done, that they can respond. And the thing is, is is we have friends that need to know about Jesus. And and really, we we need to stop talking about church and start talking about Jesus. People need to hear about a Jesus that saves and not a church that's cool. And, and, And what I mean by that is, is that, that when you tell your friend, you shouldn't just stop at, hey... Yeah, man, church, church is awesome. I don't, I don't know anyone who's, who's, I've had a conversation with and when I told them how cool church was, responded by, you know what, I am a sinner and I need God. That, that, that's not a conversation I've had. But when I tell people about a Jesus that saves, when I tell people about a Jesus that heals, when I help tell people about a Jesus that offers hope, that, that's what people need to hear, not how cool your church service was. And I'm not saying don't invite people to Reckless. You need to invite some people to Reckless because they're going to hear about Jesus here. But, but when you go out, you can't just say, hey, man, church is awesome. I love it. Come, have a fun time. You need to tell them, hey, man, Jesus is awesome. He'll change your life. He changes hearts. He heals. He changes families. He offers hope. He gives joy. That, that's what they need to hear because they're, they're looking for something. Man, they're, they're looking for something in their friends. They're looking for something in their relationships. And they're waiting for someone to tell them that there's something better and there's something more. 
They're just waiting for it. The, the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, he's in, he's in this marketplace, and he's given this sermon, and what he says is so profound. Listen to this. Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And and what Paul's saying there is, is he's saying, hey, you know what? You live where you live, and you go to school where you go to school, and you work where you're working. You're on the sports team that you're on for one reason and one reason only, that the people around you might come to know Jesus, and he's put you there. He's saying the, the reason you live in this neighborhood and the reason that you work at this place and the reason you have this lunch and the reason you sit by this kid in seventh period is for one reason and one reason only, that they might come to know him. And it's not random. God's doing this. He's like this master orchestrator playing out the events of our lives. And he's saying, hey, hey, you're not there randomly. That kid's not sitting by you randomly. He needs to hear about Jesus and I've put you there. He needs to hear about a hope he needs to hear about a Jesus who saves, and I've put you there to go tell them. Here's my challenge for you students. Here's our main point. The only way to defend against the attacks of the enemy is to trust in the righteousness provided by Christ and bring that same hope to others. And what our enemy wants to do is he wants us to keep that to ourselves. He doesn't want us to go tell people about the righteousness we have. He'd rather us just be ashamed about it. He'd rather us just be scared. But, but what God says is, hey, go tell them. I have people out there that need to hear about me. And I'm, I'm moving you there so that you can be those people that do that. And, and so here's my question for you, student. What, what's God doing in your classroom? What's God's doing on your sports team what what's God's doing in your neighbor's life because God's moving he's waiting for you to join in on with him so that you can experience what God's doing so that you can be those people so that you can tell them who's in your seventh period that needs to know Jesus God's put them there for a reason who sits beside you at lunch It's, it's not random God is doing something and he wants you to join in on it So here's my challenge for you, student. Join in on what God's doing in your lives. Let's pray. God, we just, uh, we come to you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing here tonight. Lord, we thank you for the righteousness provided by Jesus. We thank you for what he did on the cross. Lord, we just ask that as we go out throughout this week that we remember, no matter what the enemy tries to tell us, You've made us righteous by what Jesus has done. And maybe there's some of us in here, man, we're those people that have the bad hearts. We're the people that need Jesus in our lives. Man, if that's you, man, I want to encourage you and just talk to God about it. God changes hearts. He's not opposed to you in any way. He, He loves you. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to make you a child. 
And so if you're one of those people with those bad hearts, maybe, maybe you need to talk to your small group leader after this. Maybe you need to come talk to Todd, come talk to me, talk to one of the leaders in here. And just say, hey, this is what God's doing in my heart. I don't, I don't really understand this. I need to talk to someone. I want to know God, but I just don't know. I'm confused. And if that's you, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to walk through that with you. And, and for the rest of us who are in here, who, who we, we know that God's changed our heart. We know that he's started to change our desires. My prayer is that we, we start being those people that go out. We start being those Acts 17 people that's looking for the people that God's put around us that need to know him. We want to be people that take the gospel everywhere into our classrooms. We want, to, we want to be the people that take the gospel into our lunchroom. We want to be the people that take the gospel to our playground. We want to be the people that take the gospel to the neighbor's house. That's the people we want to be because we have a God that heals and works and saves and changes hearts. And he offers hope and joy. And people need to hear that. God, we thank you for what you've done in here tonight. We thank you for what you've done to us. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.